This is episode 16 of the Great Speech Podcast on how to find the job you want in a hyper-competitive market. This is an interview with Simon Gray. Let's go. It's a Great Speech Podcast for the public speakers. We're going way down deep to look at what makes a communicator. We'll look at all different topics from the bottom to the top. So get your mind free of all the distractions and please listen up, listen up, listen up. It's the Great Speech Podcast. 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 (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Yes, 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 my great communicators. Welcome back. How are you guys doing? I hope you're well. And this episode you are going to want to listen to if you ever have or ever will want to look for a job or perhaps you're trying to kind of take your career to the next level, this is the interview for you because we are discussing today with a gentleman called Simon Gray, who is uh, one of the most versatile entrepreneurs I've ever interviewed, actually. He is a chartered accountant by trade. He's also a Forex trader. Uh, He's run his own recruitment company. He is an Aikido martial arts expert, which you know I'm going to be asking him about. Uh, But more importantly, for, for our purpose, today. He's also the author of the Super Secrets of Successful Executive Job Search. Uh, There's a series of three different books in that series. Uh, And he's also the founder of the Career Codex, which is kind of an online uh, content and coaching program to help executives in particular take the next step in their kind of job seeking and career strategy. It's really fascinating episode because he, he covers a lot of stuff that I certainly really was interested in. I think you will be too. He talks about things like, or listen out for his thoughts on, you know, why your CV doesn't need to have a personal statement, uh, what you should say when people ask you what salary you want, uh, why your skills and experience are not what matters most to employers. And the part that I, for me was the most fascinating was how to take control of the interview so that they see you in the job. I, I loved his kind of minds. I call it almost like a Jedi mind trick approach uh, to how to deal with interviews. So all in all, it's a really fascinating episode. A lot of value in this one. Uh, I think you should check it out. Turn everything off or turn everything down. Uh, listen and enjoy. Here's Simon. Okay, greetings. Welcome back, my great communicators. Great to have you guys back with me. And of course, I've got another interview, as I said, uh, with Mr. Simon Gray, who's with us. Hey, Simon, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Great to have you on. It's good to see you. Good to yes, see you. It's yeah, been it's a while. been a while. Been a while, hasn't it? It's, good to, it's good to be here. I'm ready yeah. for all of your uh, your questions that you've got for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if I can catch you out once in a while. Uh, listen, I always start my episodes with a quote, uh, which I would always give the privilege of that to my guests. So what do you have for us, sir? Okay, well, I'm going to be greedy if that's okay. I did, did forewarn you. I've got two quotes that probably um, summarize what I try and focus on in life. And the first quote is by Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. That's quote. Yes. Love that quote. Love that quote. Yes. And the second quote is by Admiral Horatio Lord Nelson, who said that perseverance in any profession will pro- will most probably meet its reward. Oh, OK. Oh, now, I didn't know that one. I, yeah. should, I should look that up. That's that's a good one, actually. 
do you have a fascination with that period or just I do, I do, I, I do actually yeah I, I went to hms victory earlier in the year i'm reading his auto not autobiography his biography uh, at the moment i just think those two those two quotes uh you know they're, they're old but they're mm. very relevant for today we overcomplicate stuff just keep it simple and people are just too easy to give up on stuff and um you know if you persevere you're probably going to get your reward which is probably success so i like yeah. it couldn't couldn't agree with you more and i can and i can see actually from your kind of body of work all the different stuff you've done which i'm going to ask you about that i can see that thread really kind of following through and actually i wanted to ask you first of all because i know you've done a lot of things but the aikido (laughs) how did that come about (laughs) okay all right so i've been a martial artist since i was probably 16 i got bullied at school classic thing then learned to go, wanted to come out of the school I was at and learn to defend myself. So I never got bullied again. Done a number of different martial arts, but um, I read this book called Angry White Pajamas, which is available on Amazon. It's okay. won it's won some literary prize or other. And it's, it kind of did the rounds in the martial arts circles about 10 years ago. Read this book and it was about this guy who went to Japan uh, to do Aikido full time with the Tokyo Riot Police. Read the mm-hmm. book, decided I wanted to go and do it. So at the age of, I think I was 34, 35, sold wow. the house, sold the car, sold everything and basically shipped off to Japan, enrolled on the course, did the course for 11 months and uh, survived to tell the tale. So I'm just writing my memoirs at the moment. So great experience. Great experience. That's that's incredible. And I mean, Aikido, I mean, what, what are the principles of Aikido? Because it, it feels like one of those martial arts where it the principles of it also apply to life. So what, yes. you know, what did you get out of it? I probably there's various different martial arts out and about there. And the the, the best way I was ever described Aikido was if if you're stood on a train track and a train's coming towards you, the karate guy is going to stand on the track and punch the train and smash it into a million pieces. The judo guy is going to turn and the train's going to flip over the judo guy's back and crash over somewhere in the distance. Right. (laughs) But the Aikido guy, the Aikido guy gets off the track and lets the train pass by. Ah, so the, the, the principle is not to try and fight force with force. And the principle is, you know, just get out of the way of stuff and avoid it. So, you know, they, they say Aikido is for life. You know, we have confrontations with people all the time. Mm. Why bother? Why, why do that? Why not just get off the track, get out of the way, go and find somebody else to talk to or go and find some other business to do. Um, Gosh, so, that's such, that's such a good principle because, because it's a, it's a different kind of strength. Yeah, that is very underappreciated. And I can see how that can apply in many areas in life, uh, in career development and job searching. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So, so Aikido, yes. you are a chartered accountant. I am. I am. You had your own recruitment business. You've got your own executive um, development job searching program. Uh, you're a president of the nottingham society of chartered accountants i mean you're doing so much you do forex trading as well right i've heard you do some property but yeah. i mean if, if you were <laughs> to describe who you are who are you <laughs> probably confused i would, I would say <laughs> probably confused um a, a few a few years ago i mean i I've, I've done the career stuff i did the the chartered accountancy stuff professional qualification i i spent 10 years in recruitment and i got to the point probably about the time i had kids where i thought do you know what why wait until you retire to do probably what you really want to do? Right. And I think nowadays more and more people are, are, are getting this and realizing that they can have these small little business that they run from home 
Um, they can do what they want to do. They can have a portfolio of different interesting stuff that they do. And if they've got knowledge to share and people need their help with stuff, well, you can do just as well without, you know, sitting in a traditional office and doing the nine to five traditional stuff that, that people have always done. So that was kind of my principle. So I, I, I do things that interest me is my guiding light, I guess, in life. And uh, if something interests me, I kind of add it to the portfolio. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. And I guess it makes sense that somebody who's who's kind of done a lot of varied things should really also be able to focus on, well, how do you find those jobs or those roles? Um, yes. which makes sense that you've because you've got you say so you've got three books um, and I was saying I I because you know I haven't had a job for about 20 years <laughs> I really haven't done any job searching um, yeah. but I, I, I got your book uh, and I kind of didn't really expect to be absorbed by it because as I said it wasn't necessarily relevant to my personal circumstance mm. uh, certainly at the moment um, but I found it utterly absorbing because you were really giving, you know, I, I'm one of these people that I like people who give valuable techniques, valuable tips, valuable strategies for achieving something in this case, kind of searching for jobs. Yeah. Um, so I really, really love it. And I actually want us to kind of to explore that issue, kind of tell us what your approach is to this topic. Um, so you've got three books, I see. So you've got the first one was the Super Secrets of the Successful Job Seeker. That's right. That's the first one. Yeah. Right. That, and that, then, that's uh, that was published by Harriman House. Right. Uh, and that did really that did really well as well. Didn't it, it? it did. And, and the, the, the story behind how you come to write a book, I had a recruitment company. Um, there were candidates that came into my office that I knew I couldn't place. I didn't have the jobs for them, but I wanted to help them. I could give them a business card and send them on their way. And, you know, they're not happy. Right. I'm not happy. So I wrote a book and, and people would take this, find their own jobs, come back to me and thank me. Um, so it did start to, to do, to do really, really well. So mm -hmm. that was the, the first one. The next one I wrote was called super secrets of successful executive job search. Yeah. And that's the one that I've been reading actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was pitched very much towards executives and the, uh, approach that I outline in, in, in that book was kind of my manifesto of how you actually do it. There's four key stages to successful job search. And then I took some of that um some of that information i wrote a book for younger people starting out which is super secrets of the successful first time job seeker i've had some practice at saying all of that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you need some practice it's hard it's difficult at times but so yes. does that mean recruitment consultants kind of have daggers out for you because you're kind of um, showing people how to really do it not not really because i have been an, an advisor to recruitment businesses as a, a non-exec director so i was very careful in how i worded stuff what i'm basically saying in these books is that you can't rely on third parties alone. So you can't rely on job boards. You can't rely on recruiters, which is what the most most people tend to do. And that's their knee-jerk reaction when they come into the job market. So I, I show them how to do three things very well. Um, I show them that you can have conversations with recruiters, but you've got to have a different type of conversation if you want to stand out. So recruiters have their place, but if that's all you're doing in the marketplace, you could be missing a trick. Right, right. Yeah. And... When it comes to, so, I mean, let, let's, let's, cause I want to get into the meat of this, right? Okay. So, so let, let's take this. One of the things that really attracted me to the book when I was reading it was you seem to really nail the, the, the kind of the imbalance that people feel as job seekers, which is I'm looking for a job. So I'm kind of the one that wants something. So I don't have any power 
Whereas the employer can take whoever they want and it's a, you know, it's a buyer's market. It's very competitive. So they have all the power. So what can I do? And which can lead to being quite despondent or you kind of put it out there, don't get the traction and immediately kind of lose heart, um, lose, fo- lose focus and lose drive. And what I liked about it was it seemed to really not necessarily flip it on its head, but actually say, no, you actually have a much greater power and control. Uh, than you think and then take people through a a a strategy for achieving that i mean is was that from your experience of job searching yourself was it from just the running the recruitment is there some aikido in there you know how does that come about yeah it's a very good question A, a lot of what i talk about if you think about if you go on, if you go on Amazon and you search for job search books, you're going to get the CV stuff, the resume yeah. stuff, and all that good stuff. That's what people tend to think about. Yeah. But I realised from my time in recruitment, there was a lot more to job search than just the mechanics of job search. And actually, it all starts with what goes on inside your head. Mm-hmm. Um, understand the, understand the job market, and then understand your relationship with the job market, which is what you believe, how you think, which ultimately determines how you act. And the problem is, people come into the job market. They believe it's it's a tough place. You know, we have you know Brexit at the moment. Oh, it's not a good time to, to look for a job. So they believe that. They think that. They don't take action. So you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So a lot of it comes from my experience in recruitment. Some of it comes from my uh, knowledge and experience trading foreign currencies, where you have to have oh, wow. rock-solid psychology. Uh, okay. All and, right. not, and not let your emotions get in the way of stuff. Um, so, and there's some Aikido in there as well. So it's kind of, um, I don't like to use the word mishmash, but it's kind of, a what's a better word? Um, I've amalgamated my experience of recruitment experience of, of business because your job search is your business. Right. And also my experience with the martial arts and, you know, one or two other things into a system that works and a system that people from all over the world have used to find opportunities that were never advertised, never going to be advertised. Uh, and move successfully in the job market. Yes, I, I saw you talking about the hidden market, which I want to ask yeah. you about as well. Okay, so so I'm looking for a job, right? And and I say the also the reason why I was attracted to this topic as well, and really wanted to interview about it is because because I'm all about communication. I always think that the ability to persuade in any situation is just critical to all of our lives and our successes. Yes, and clearly the ability to persuade somebody else to take you on in a position, whether that's <coughs> the first time or as an executive or as a leader or whatever level, um, is really a great piece of communication. And, and your book is very holistic. It, it, it kind of stops you just saying, oh, it's all about the CV or it's all about the interview. It's kind of no, look at everything because that's how you're going to uh, achieve. Yeah. So I'm a job seeker. I'm looking for a job. What's the first thing that I should be thinking about? The first thing you need to think about is, do you really understand how the job market works? Okay. Who, who, I call it the job market environment. Who are the players? How does the market work? Specifically, what we're talking about here is what are the motivations of employers? You know, right. Do employers like recruitment? Do they want to hire people? Do they not want to hire people? What, what are their thought process, processes behind this? And this is, you asked me about the hidden market. This um mm. Once you understand how the job market works, this is where you understand the existence of the hidden market. Because before an employer, nine times out of 10, before an employer will go out to a recruiter or go out to a job board where they've got to spend money, with not necessarily a guarantee of a result, 
they're probably going to have conversations closer to home. We all talk to yeah. our friends, our family, right. our networks. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you have, um, you know, le- legal background and, and legal, yeah. co- I've, I finance contacts. If I needed an accountant, I'd go and talk to my finance contacts. That's the way it yeah. works. So, um, I show people how to tap into those conversations early on and I show them how to do that, not just to be early to the job, but also because if they can approach an employer when the employer is kind of formulating an idea of a position, that employer is less rigid in what they want because by at that point they've not oh. put a job specification together. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Right, right. And, and as soon as an employer puts a job specification together and pays a recruiter some money, perhaps up front mm. in terms of retained assignment, they want the 10 out of 10 things on that job specification. Once they're having com- before that, they're having conversations around the board table, and they're mm. probably more flexible as to who they would consider. Um, so, you know, coming to a recruiter like me back in the day, you probably get to have the nine or ten things on the CV for me to put you in front of my clients because that's what my clients are paying me for. Yeah. But those clients would probably hire somebody with less experience if they approach them in a different way. Mm. Or maybe if they showed that they had a vision for the role that the employer gets or that buys into or that you know makes the employer realize oh actually yes it could go that way oh i get that i get that exactly if you turn up with a value proposition Mm. and if you turn up with the ability once you've opened the door to control the conversation as to what you want to talk about to demonstrate that you're the right candidate for that job maybe the job isn't specified but you're the right candidate for that business Mm. you've got a really really good chance there's less competition um, you're more in control. So I, I put people in control and I change their mindset. So they're not reactive to the whims of the job market. They're proactive in deciding what they want and going to find it. And they do that over and over again until they find the right position. Uh, and it right. works. It works. It works. You know, yeah. And, and, and I saw that as well as kind of, first of all, having that first understanding. So, so presumably the next step after having that first understanding is then to what identify my goals or my strategy what's what's kind of step two it's to get inside your own head because Ah, what i've what i've learned over the years is the thing that stops people achieving the success that they deserve and they want is the self-talk and 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 lack of self-understanding lack of self-awareness so one of the very very first things i get all of my clients to do is to keep a diary so they keep a diary i did this on this date this is how i felt this is what happened da, da. so i'm getting inside their head and i, I review that diary with them on a it, fortnightly is it, basis is it is it more of an internal monologue or just actually what what happened as well it's it it's it's both so it's 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 the date and time the activity mm-hmm. that they were engaged in but then the most important bit is what that meant it meant to them how they felt about it so for example you know, they might phone a recruitment company. The recruitment company won't take the call. Okay, that's what happened. But what did they make that mean? And it's incredible once they go back and review that, they start to realize they've all got all these, all these short circuits, all these filters in their head that say, if that happens, this means this. And ultimately, what it tends to mean is, if this happens, it means nobody wants my skills and experience. I'm not a good candidate. And the reality ah. is that's not true. Ah, I see, I see. So, So in a way, it's putting your thoughts down so you can actually be more objective about them, I guess, and not kind of get lost in them. Correct. Correct. If you want to change anything in life, if you want to change your relationship with anything, with with somebody, with Mm. an activity, it's very difficult to do it unless you can tap into your subconscious and bring your subconscious way of thinking and believing 
into your conscious mind where you make a change and enforce change over a period of time to create a new habit. And then you put that back into your subconscious because all of us, we're all on automation. Right. Yeah. Aren't we? <laughs> yes. Very true. Very Most true. of the stuff we do is automated mm. and we never question why. And, and we, without getting too deep into psychology, you know, stuff that's happened to you in the past impacts your viewpoint of stuff that will happen to you in the future mm. of a similar vein. And the job market is a prime example. You got rejected from an interview last week. Okay, today I'm going to get rejected again. Tomorrow I'm going to get it. It's the same old story. The reality is it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to change your mindset. Wow. Okay, right. So I've got into my mindset. I've done my diary. What's okay. next? <laughs> the next The next thing is to, is to do something that a lot of people don't do in the job market. Maybe think about your career and think about whether you did this. Okay. A lot of people come into the job market and they look at what jobs are available. And they say, yeah, I could probably do that. I could probably do that. They send the CV off and they wait. We talked a bit about that already. Mm. But rarely have I come across, and these, some senior people that I've worked with, rarely have I come across somebody that has actually taken a step back and said, okay, I'm going to decide what I want in complete isolation as to what I believe is out there. Okay, so being kind of more determinative i guess which you know setting out what you want as opposed to exactly. just taking what exactly. exists all right yeah, yeah i get that a, a lot of people i talk to who have had two three four five moves in the job market when i ask them why did you take that job they can't really give me an answer it was mm -hmm. the job that was available at the time that was advertised let's say um and it paid the right kind of money and was in the right kind of location that tends to be the reason the problem with that approach, yeah, you can get away with that early on in your career, possibly. But when you get later on in your career, it can become harder to move and a more senior level, a higher salary level. There are always less opportunities. Um, so it's very important to step back and say, hey, do you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something different. For example, I'm a I'm a chartered accountant. I haven't practiced mm -hmm. accountancy since 2000, year 2000, right. so 20 years. Um you know, because I trained as an account didn't mean I had to be an account for the rest of my life. Mm. I then worked in recruitment for 10 years. I decided I didn't want to do that. Um, and as a result, I recreated something else and put this career coaching thing together and, and, and moved on with my life in this business. But that was about having a different mindset to, to, I, to how most people think. And, and do you think this, I mean, is this an approach that works even for first time job seekers? I know you've written that book separately and, yeah. and I would, I imagine that as a first time job, job seeker, you feel even more kind of unempowered, you know, you've, it's kind of like, it's the first job. I just have to take whatever's out there. But are you saying that you think even at that level, the first step should be thinking about what you want to Absolutely. achieve and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same methodology. It's understanding your environment, understanding how you react with that environment, your psychology, mm -hmm. and then planning what it is you want. And I, I do some um, I do some coaching for young people uh, to try and get them to think differently about their, their careers. And it is exactly the same message. And the thing I always say to young people is, you know, people don't care. Employers don't care. I know a lot of employers from other stuff that I've done, which we haven't spoken about, <laughs> uh, running a business group. Employers don't really care what experience you've got. At the very right. outset, yes. what they care about is your attitude. They care yeah. about, you know, what you're passionate. They, they just want they, they want something. They're softer skill stuff. So as a as a as a younger person coming to the job market, the world really is your oyster. If you adopt the strategies and techniques 
that, that I talk about. Mm. I do like that actually, because I, I do a lot of mentoring of, of young black kids as well. Okay. Uh, and I always emphasize that the, the skills or the qualities, the attributes that actually matter to people once they are in the world, you know, the real world, yeah. right? Um, are not what did you get at A level maths or what did you get at, at you know eleven plus you know in your geography or you know or you know at, you know GCSE. Um, it really is okay. Are you resilient? You know, are you a great communicator? Yeah. Um, do you persevere? You know, do you can you work as a team? You know, what are your leadership skills? The kinds of things that actually are almost nothing to do with school, but are very much in your power to develop, power to control. Absolutely. Um, the power to achieve. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear from from your perspective as well. And, th- and this may sound quite controversial, but at whatever level you're at, your ability to get your next job has very little to do with your skills and experience. Right. OK. And the reason I let me caveat why I've said that, mm-hmm. because if you're going for a particular role, there's probably another five or six people in the shortlist. Yeah. You've got very, very similar skills and experience. So your ability to get that job can never really be down to your skills and experience. It's got to be down to something else. And what it's down to is two things. It's down to, first off, how you approach the employer in the first place. Right. And secondly, it's down to how you play the game once you're in a process with the employer. If you read the book, you'll have, you'll have come across the chapter uh, about interview preparation and about taking yes, control yes. of the I'll, interview. I want to ask you about that as well. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, so, that's, so that's a prime example. So it's the approach, which is not, waiting for the job to be advertised in the first place, nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10. And then it's how you play the game and you play it better than anybody else. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. It amazes me. I, I'm a, I'm a great student of communication as well, I guess, and people interaction and, and how people deal with one another Mm. and getting it right is so simple, but people don't. Yes. Well, I saw I saw an excellent quote in your book, actually, which is something to the the effect of if you do what everyone else is doing, how will you stand out? Correct. Um, Which actually it's one of those that until you think about it, Mm. you just don't even it doesn't even occur to you. But when you think about it, you realize, yeah, that's absolutely right. Actually, how if I am just putting down the same skills or I have the same experience or and I don't try and differentiate myself in any way, I really will not stand out. And then the person who does stand out is much more likely to get uh, taken on. Exactly. It's the whole comfort zone thing. You know, Mm. we we, we as human beings, I think we, we, we naturally gravitate. And, and counsel people around it. Well, what did you do? And we, we follow that. We follow the crowd because yeah. we see, we think that's the safest place. My view is that's the most dangerous place. Yeah. You don't want to play the game with the majority. You want to play the game with the minority because mm. that's how you stand out. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, cause you talked about the interview, but I want to get before the interview mm. and ask you about the CV. Okay. Um, because again, it was one of the things that I, you know, I'm saying I was reading your book and just making notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I, the, the, I think the, the point that stood out to me in particular was a point about, A, there's no such thing as a perfect CV. Um, but also, and I, rem- I know that when I kind of did my CV for a while, I used to just update it. Whereas oh. you kind of say, no, rewrite it, essentially. Yeah. So you're a different phase of life or going for a different job, rewrite it rather than updating it, which I know right. that I would just be doing if I did that. So yeah. tell us about the CV. What should we be thinking about? when we're trying to make a, you know, prepare a CV that, that gives a strong representation of us and gives us the best chance of getting to the next yeah. stage. Okay, good, good. Well, 
just let me take one step back to what mm -hmm. we already spoke about, which was planning. So deciding yeah. on what you want. When people update a CV, that's a really good clue that they're not necessarily 100% sure about what it is they want. They're just kind of updating. They're not writing a CV for a specific role. Mm -hmm. So when I was a recruiter, people would register, register uh, they would register generic CVs with me. They'd probably register those right. competitors and whatnot. What I would generally do for a specific role is get them to rewrite that CV for that role. Right. So you've got to be clear. So the first message with a CV, and it's a LinkedIn profile, same kind of thing. The first message is to be really clear about what it is you want, to have a focus. Mm -hmm. And if you think you're focused, you're probably not. So get a bit more focused. Because then once you know who you're writing the CV for, then you can be more specific and more on point with what will interest them. And that means either resolving issues that they probably have in their business or helping them to take advantage of, of opportunities. Now, that's if you're that that sort of advice is, is 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 great if you're creating a CV for a specific kind of sector or, or, or whatever else. If it's a specific job where you've got a job specification, mm -hmm. another important tip here is to uh, think about that game of snap that you and I probably okay. played. As, yeah, yeah. As, I play as, that as, with my yeah. kids. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because what often happens and I'm not doing. I'm not trying to do the HR human resources service a disservice here or profession a disservice here, but an HR function is probably recruiting a multitude of different, different disciplines for a business. Let's say mm -hmm. they don't necessarily understand what it means to be a finance director, what it means to be in-house counsel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what they're looking for is clues on the CV that match with the job specification. Right. Yeah. So if yeah. you can help them, by clearly articulating in line with how they've presented what they want to what's on your CV for a specific job that you're applying for, that's the way to do it. Yeah, okay, I see. Because it, it you're just giving them what they want so that mm -hmm. they can say, yep, that's one to consider or that's one to take further or interview or whatever. Yeah. And the, the reason I say, you know, the CV doesn't matter that much is because people don't read them. I have read, and this is the truth, I have read one CV in my life from start to finish. I'll give you a guess as, as to who CV. <laughs> Yours, right? My own, exactly, because, because you know, it's got to be right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you just don't have the time as a recruiter. You don't have the time as an employer. So you've got to use, you've got to use spacing correctly. You've got to have headings correctly. Mm. The most important thing on a CV is achievements. I don't necessarily care what you did day to day. What I care about is what you did that moved that business forward or, or was out of the ordinary. And that's achievements. Right, right. Oh, and, and tell me also, uh, because I saw, I saw what you said about it and I, I want you to repeat it here because it always bugged me is the, the personal statement thing. Oh, please. That it never existed when I way back when I had, had a CV. Uh, and then it seemed to come in in the last 20 years, whatever it yeah. is. And I see it, especially on young people. I see this personal statement as, you know, I am a career orientated, driven, passionate, you know, <laughs> stuff where it's like, okay. <laughs> so what is your view on the personal statement, personal summary? Nonsense. Thing? Complete thank and utter nonsense. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. The, my, 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 my view on all of this is, you know, don't tell me you're a great communicator. Don't tell me you're career oriented. Don't tell me you're, you're, you're a great leader. Mm. Prove it to me with real life examples in the form of achievements yes that's all i need to see 
Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Please, everyone, listen to that because it's always <laughs> yeah. driven me nuts because it's not my area of expertise. I just assumed, well, if everyone's doing it, you know, that yeah. must be the well, way to do it, right? <laughs> exactly. If everyone's doing yeah. it, probably means yeah. you shouldn't be. Exactly. Okay. So, so that's the CV. I, I know there's so much more depth in this, and um, and I'm going to ask you to tell us about your program. I know you've got a, a yes, um, a program which I think really, if people want to kind of, well, I'd say if people want to, I'm call, I'll call it dip their toe, even though the book is very, very comprehensive. Anyway, definitely get the book. But if you really are serious about it, you've got to check out your program. So I'll ask you to give us a link to that. Um, but let's move on to, um, you know, because I, you know, CV. I'm assuming, you know let's say they've got to the next stage uh interview yes because of course especially from my point of view i'm particularly interested in it because it's the real kind of communication back and forth how do you engage with someone so how should we approach that interview what should we be thinking about presenting of ourselves engaging Mm -hmm. how you know what's what's your approach Okay, well, you've got to get all the the basic stuff right. You've got to turn up presentable. You've got Mm -hmm. to get there on time, all the basic stuff. And I do talk about that in the book and on the program. But the the higher level stuff that I emphasize is that you've got to establish what I call a higher baseline right from the off. Now, what tends to happen in interviews? And I know this because I've I've phoned up candidates who I've sent on interview and asked them what happened at the interview for many, many years. What tends to happen at the interviews is the interviewer is not prepared. And the interviewer probably, particularly at the senior end of the market, doesn't do interviews every day of the week. You know, ah. H- Human Resources does, but if they're if they're bringing in the CEO or, or whoever, they may have done an interview twelve months ago. Mm-hmm. So it's out of their comfort zone. They're kind of nervous. They don't really know what they're doing. They're not quite sure what they need to ask. So what tends to happen in those scenarios is people tend to over talk. Think of it like a first date. You're nervous. Okay. You're gonna, right. yeah. you're gonna talk, <laughs> yeah. And so, so the, so the candidate's a little bit nervous as well. They go into the interview, they kind of keep quiet because they don't want to say anything that's gonna, you know, not go down as well as should go down. Let's just say they're a little bit nervous. The employer starts to talk, and the employer talks and talks and talks and talks. So what happens is, if it's a senior role, generally there's a limited time for the interview, possibly an hour, and for the forty minutes, forty-five minutes, the employers talked and found out nothing about the candidate. Yeah. So the candidate comes away from that interview, doesn't get the job, not because they don't have the skills and experience, not because they couldn't give a good account of themselves. It's because they didn't take control at the outset to be able to do that. So I put people through probably what I would regard as the most rigorous preparation steps for interviews. So, you know, this business inside out, Mm -hmm. you've experienced the business if you can. Uh, What I mean by that is getting under the skin of the business to be either kind of in the business mm-hmm. if it's a retail operation you can go into the store speak to the manager as an example uh, um i sent um i sent a, a candidate back in the day who was applying for a senior role with a, an airline um she didn't take a flight but what she did do was go through the booking process online okay. make notes and and told the employer at the start so the higher baseline goes something like this you go into the interview environment, you say, hey, it's great to be here today. Thank you very much for your time. Just before we get going, I just thought it'd be useful to let you know, these are some of the things that I've done to prepare for the interview. Oh, wow. Now, that sounds quite bold. It I sounds quite different. And it yeah. is. Will it work yeah. all the time? Maybe not. You don't necessarily need to do it as you sit down for interview. Mm. But instead of that awkward talk about the weather and the journey in, which is yeah. a complete waste of time yeah, as you exactly. walk to the interview room. 
Why not have that conversation? So that the employer then thinks, wow, this candidate's a bit different. I don't need to explain the intricacies of what our business does because they already know. So why don't we talk about some higher level stuff? Mm. So what that means is you give the employer a much better experience. And whether you advance to the next stage of an interview or get offered a job as a result of an interview is often not down to what you say specifically, what you don't say specifically. It matters, don't get me wrong, but it's how you make the employer feel. So if you take control of the interview at the outset using this higher baseline, and we're we're going through this really, really fast, there's lots of different (laughs) intricacies to it. Of course, of course. The employer suddenly relaxes and the employer gets to the end of the interview and thinks, well, that was great. That was easy. Hmm, I like this person. Let's put them through. And I can I can tell you, 10 years in recruitment, probably slightly longer than 10 years. When I have been on the phone to an employer who tells me they want to offer one of my candidates a job over other candidates that they're rejecting, when I ask them specifically why, it would be very rare for them to point out a specific area of experience. Generally, they don't know. It's a feeling. Mm. So what you're doing is you're influencing the employer's gut feel. And that's how you start the process through this higher baseline. And I can, the funny thing is I can actually also see how that would work very well or even at the first time employee level. Cause you imagine, okay, I'm an employee going for a retail job or whatever. And I walk in and I've, but before that I've gone to the store, I've shopped, I've yeah. tried everything. And I go in with that knowledge and give some of that. I can see how actually that would make me stand out from the other nervous 16 year old who's just. Yeah. Glad to be there and nervous as, as heck, you know. Exactly. And then at the, the, the next stage, what I, I always say, when you're going to meet the most senior decision maker, not the first interview, second interview, mm-hmm. you put together what's called a 90-day plan. Mm-hmm. And let, let me give you a real-life example. And This is an area of my experience that we haven't really spoke about. I, I ran a business group uh, here in the East Midlands for, for four years, all about all about bringing businesses together. Had to do a lot of public speaking, so I had to get good at that quite quickly. <laughs> Attracting inward investment into into the region, and I went for an interview. It was a panel interview. Four 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 people there ready to interview me. I had no knowledge of inward investment, no experience of inward investment before, but I had researched their organisation to right. the nth degree, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting there. And they didn't really, I don't think they had necessarily had a coherent approach to ask me specific stuff that would have allowed me to demonstrate my abilities. So at the start of the interview, I did the higher baseline stuff. And I said, look, just to let you know, I have done quite a lot of research and I put together a list, a narrative as to some of the stuff I do in the first 90 days of employment. I'm happy to leave that with you now or um, leave that with you at the end. Or if you want to talk about it now, then that's fine. Guess what happened? They said, let's talk about it. Yeah. So I basically pitched my <laughs> business plan with a, 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 there's a couple of caveats. It's, you need to read the book or the yeah, book, yeah. course. There's a, there's a couple of caveats, but basically this was the, the most, this was the important point here. Rather than seeing me as applying for the job, by that action, they saw me in the job. Uh, because they weren't talking right. about what I'd done for somebody else. Right. They were living in that moment. And what you could do for them. What I would do for them. So there were two other guys in this process with inward investment experience, a bit older than me, more experienced than me. And I firmly believe I was offered that job because I took control of the interview using the meth- methodologies that I teach people to show them that I could do the job for them. 
even though I didn't have the experience. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's fun. That is fantastic. That is gold value. <laughs> that's that's really brilliant. Because I, I love that because it's 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 shifting the 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 mindset, the narrative. In fact, when you were saying about how they make them feel, that what I love that about that is because there's a there's a Maya Angelou quote that I use all the time okay, uh, yeah. for public speaking, which is that people will uh, forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Totally agree. Um, and I can see how that applies in this situation as well. So it's um, that's that's gosh. I, I just actually had to look at the time and realize we've already been going for a good have, 35 minutes or so um, <laughs> okay. because it's just been such such good stuff and I could I could go on and kind of get more information from you let me ask you one specific question okay. and I, I don't know whether it's a it's a it's a common issue as I say because I haven't really done this but um how do you deal with when people ask you so what salary are you looking for or uh, you know what are you earning now you know that kind of thing because they're always trying to Essentially, you always feel employers are trying to, you know, get away with as little as possible if they're thinking about taking you. So, do you have any particular approach to dealing with that? Yeah, I get asked this a lot, and it's if you start going down the road of telling people what you want, mm-hmm. then you're playing a dangerous game because they may have had a higher figure in their heads, and you've right. you've just cost yourself, yep. or it's it's above their benchmark, so mm-hmm. you're out of the process. So, right. so never tell people what you want. The, the way I approach this is to say something along the lines of, OK, well, just to let you know that actually my prime motivation for being in the market at this time is is the next challenge. And I'm particularly attracted to your business and this opportunity because of this, this and this. So you bring it back to them and okay. as to why you want the job, because people want to hire people that want people, people, employers want to hire people or offer people that are going to say yes. Employer doesn't want to hear yeah. a no when they make an offer. Right. And then you give a factual statement that says, look, just as a benchmark in my current role, I'm on this Mm -hmm. in my previous role. I was on that. But obviously what you would potentially offer me will be dependent on your assessment of my skills and abilities and the the value that I know I will bring to your business and leave it at that. Okay. All right. And I mean. If, oh, oh, so so actually, so you do say let them know what you are on because I wasn't really yeah. sure whether you should or shouldn't. You know, for instance, if you if you're concerned that you know you're being underpaid where mm. you are, so that's going to make them benchmark it. Yeah. Is, is that something you should worry about or or not really? Um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. The, the thing is, if you try and dodge the question, mm. they're going to smell a rat. Right. Okay. You you've got to give a direct answer to a direct question. But there is a big difference between giving a factual figure as to what you're currently on mm-hmm. and giving them a figure that you want. Okay. Completely different. So I've always advised people to do this is what I'm currently on um, because it doesn't necessarily commit them to that figure because most mm-hmm. people would move for a move for a, an increase. As soon right. as you say, okay. I want this, it commits you to a figure. You don't want to I've do got you. I've got you. I've got yeah. you. Okay. Oh, okay. That satisfied that. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, listen, I could, I tell you, I could go on because I, because what I love as well is as well, as well as the kind of the little snippets of tips and techniques you've given, you can tell from speaking to you that there's a whole kind of reservoir of much more, uh to come so so i'm going to ask you as i said to tell us about the program you got because i know that's probably where you give the real kind of gold stuff uh, that people will need but before we do that uh as you know i have a uh kind of as a final little bit uh, of this interview is what i call my 10 question quick fire round oh yes looking forward Uh, to this this is just 10 questions a bit random 
no right or wrong answer. Really, it's trying to answer instinctively, although when I've done it, people seem to think that the questions are hard. I always think the questions are straightforward, just answer, but they may be a bit harder than they should be. Uh, But yeah, just give your answers instinctively uh, and let's see how we go. Okay, so question number one. If you could be a movie extra for a martial arts film, which would you choose, a Bruce Lee film or a Jackie Chan film? Bruce Lee. Uh, okay, that's what I thought. Uh, okay, question two. On a scale of one to ten, how nervous do you get before a speech? Two. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, question three. What was the best job you ever had? Wow. I'm trying to answer this instinctively. <laughs> Probably the best job I ever had was setting up my own recruitment company. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, quite, yeah exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question four, if you were to give a TED talk, what would the topic of your speech be? Well, it have to be executive job search, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. It would have course. to be also, but, <laughs> but it would, I, I can tell you it would delve very deeply into the whole thinking stuff. Yeah. I, I love the mindset stuff because mm. that, that's the stuff that I think stands out. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, question five, if you had to relive one day for the rest of your life, like Groundhog Day, what day would that be? Wow. I've got to say my wedding day, haven't oh, I? Give me. <laughs> or, 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 Good or, the birth, or the birth of my kids. One yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. Three days, yeah. three days. Okay, cool. Excellent, excellent. Uh, okay, question six. If you could only listen, speak, or see, which would you choose? See. Listen, speak, or see? See. see? Okay, yep. I think that I think that's the most common one. Yeah, I think that's the most common one. Uh, question seven. Your favorite movie, book, and, and um, uh, album? Wow. Movie, book, and album. Um, movie would be either Gladiator, probably. My son is called Maximus after Gladiator. No way. <laughs> or due to my obsession with all things um, naval, Nelson, and whatnot, Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. Um, second one was album. Uh, uh, album. Uh, probably the greatest album ever. Simple Minds, Live in the City of Light. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Back to I'll the 80s. To, I'll have to re-listen to that one. Yeah, amazing uh, album. And um, what else was there? Have we done film? Uh, we did film, book. Oh. And book. album. Book, album. book. Yeah, book. book Sorry. Book. Yeah, I lost I'm, I'm glancing, at, glancing at my uh, bookshelf. Um, goodness me, there's so many to mention. A great book that I have read numerous times is a book called Market Wizards about the oh. greatest traders of all time. Massive, massive. If you read between the lines, it's all about human psychology. Amazing. Okay. All right. I'll check that out. I don't, I don't know that one. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, question eight. If your kids were to describe you in three words, what would they say? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, silly, and probably annoying. <laughs> yeah, I think two, two of those would be mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Question nine. Uh, what was the favorite period of your life? Uh, education, kind of school start time, early work life, or now? Mm. I'd probably say early work life. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, is that that's the startup period again? Is it? No, probably when or you come before. out when you come out of university, you go oh, to. Okay. I mean, it's a very special time, but you don't appreciate it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. I think. Sorry, I'm rattling on. But every stage of your life, you got to enjoy it. But that was a particularly special, unique time. 
I think you're right. It's one of those. Yeah, it's. I mean, you enjoyed it at the time, but it's looking back, you kind yeah. of enjoyed it even more, uh, yeah, or cool. realize that you should have enjoyed it more. Yeah. Um, okay, and final question, question ten: Who would play you in the movie of your life? Wow, it's gonna have to be Robert De Niro or Russell oh. Crowe. All right, all right. Yeah, I can, I can see both actually. I can see both. <laughs> cool. All right, excellent. Listen, that is the Perfect. ten questions. Just again, just something a bit. Um, bit different uh, to stand up uh, and i kind of feel it give, gives people a, a different insight into uh whoever is the guest on my show so thank you for taking uh, part in that uh, and thank you also for kind of i mean really really good valuable stuff really good valuable stuff and i was saying about how you have a program and yes. really i think both the book or books and the program is where people should go and find you so tell us about um the program in particular yeah sure okay so the, so the book's a bit like a starter it gives you the overview the framework but uh, a couple of years ago i decided i would take the deep knowledge and record a online training course which is called executive edge online uh which you can find at careercodex.com uh this is for executives or aspiring executives it teaches the methodology and it goes in deep on those four stages um so it's online content accessible 24 7 uh, it is a fortnightly group coaching call where I answer questions and in open forum. Oh, uh, that's that's really good option. Yeah. So we've got access to you directly. Yes, yeah, yeah and a pri- it's, it's a group environment. There's a private yeah. LinkedIn group. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the balance between accessible twenty four seven, but with some support, uh, right. and it runs on a very very affordable monthly subscription. Okay, excellent, excellent. And uh, you said that's careercodex.com, right? Yeah, you can access, if you go to careercodex.com, um, yep. that's the, the main domain, then you can find it there. Executive okay, cool. Edge Online. All right. Uh, and I will put the link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this right now, just scroll down or sideways, whichever way it is, uh, have a look and I'll put the link uh, in there. Fantastic. Listen, that is such, such good stuff. Um, maybe I should think about my CV and my career now. No, stay with what you do. I do love what I'm doing. But no, Simon, really, really appreciate you giving us the time, us the benefit of kind of, because it feels like you know, decades of experience that you've kind of amassed and honed into this um, really kind of valuable product. So thank you very much for coming on the Great Speech Podcast. Thank you. Uh, Pleasure and, to be here. And as you know, uh, we say goodbye in a different language each oh. time. I think I know what the language is going to be, but I'm going <laughs> to hand it over to you to take us out with goodbye. First of all, tell us the language and then give us the uh, word or phrase. Okay, so I'm going to do this in Japanese. Now, the word you probably know is sayonara, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give you a more colloquial, colloquial, if I can say that version. So my time training in Japan, when we finished for the day, we would say to each other, Otsukare-sama deshita, which basically means good job, well done kind of a congratulatory for us doing this podcast episode together um so work colleagues say it martial arts people say and then the other thing you might say is okay i like i like both of those i'm not gonna gonna see you soon kind of excellent excellent thank you very much simon thank you very much great communicators for listening to this episode hope you found it full of value i will see you the next time cheers bye